Morning. Thanks so much for everybody. Um, so happy New Year to everybody here. Um, I'm always wary when I say it at the beginning of the year because I don't know if we're in the statutory sort of limitation of whether we can still say that to one another. I know some people are back at work and you kind of like if I had a rand for every time somebody said Happy New Year to me, I'd be a millionaire. So just I'm going to say it anyway if this is the last time you hear it. Uh, but isn't this also just a fascinating time of the year, right? Um, it's for one called January. Uh, for a reason, that holiday splurge that you went on has sort of eaten out of the budget, um, but that's not all. Uh, the splurge is not the only thing that's been eating. Uh, that has sort of found its way more or less towards your midsection. Um, and so we find ourselves in these different spaces at this time of the year. But on a more serious note, this period of the year, sort of December, January, has this sort of dual focus that we find ourselves in. Right, we're, we're in a lot of ways looking back and reflecting on the year that passed, where we are, where we're at in our lives, and, and at this time of the year, we're looking forward, right, and we're trying to think about what is this year uh, going to look like. Now, there are some of you that are sitting in this room whose goals are very firmly and clearly in place at the moment. Your budget spreadsheets are locked and loaded, baby. And, uh, but for some of you, there is also a sense of confusion, really, around what is this year going to look like, and you may say that with a sense of maybe anxiety or fear, or maybe you're really worried about what this year is going to bring. Um, a colleague of mine said it's 2020 more, that's what he's aiming, aiming for, 2020 more this year. But regardless of which camp you sort of find yourself in, all of us are kind of looking into this year and into our lives and kind of asking the question of, I wonder what this is going to be like. I wonder what this year is going to be like. Um, for, for Christians, uh, maybe the question for you is, what is, what is my life with God going to look like this year? So Lee saying, you know, I'm going to step out of the boat. What is that going to even look like? Um, and maybe if you're not a Christian and you're sort of here visiting and you're checking this out, maybe your curiosity as well, and I've heard a lot about God and a lot about Jesus, but what is a life with God in it actually look like? Uh, and so now this sermon today is not aimed at your sort of new year, how to have your best life ever, year ever, um, but it's, it's more about really helping you get a vision of what a day-to-day a -day life with God can look like. Uh, it's not about this year, it's about your whole life. Uh, and today we're looking at one of the most famous passages in the Bible. Uh, it's an exquisitely beautiful, deeply substantive passage um, and I think it's only fitting that an exquisitely beautiful and deeply substantive person reads it to us. So I'm going to ask Sky to come and read Psalm 23 for us, please. Um, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before, um, before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will, shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All right, um, we're not going to have slides, but we'll work with what we've got. Um, so thank you, Sky. Um, I purposely didn't, I mean, now that the projector's not working, it 
helps me because purposely didn't put those words up on the screen. And I hope as Sky was reading it, you were sort of, sort of meditating in, in that way. And I would encourage you to do that. And, 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 you know, I'm really excited to walk through this psalm with you today because in prepping for it, I didn't sort of jump straight into prepping. I just spent a lot of time just sitting in it and meditating on it. And the more and more that I did that, the more and more I realized that we could probably spend a whole year working through this psalm. We could have a whole sermon on every single verse of it. And so as I mentioned in the introduction, the idea here is to maybe just reawaken you to the incredible vision of what a life with God is like. Um, And the richness of this actually is, yes, of course, today we will hopefully give you some great insight and some revelation around that. But the richness of this psalm is really going to be found in your personal, quiet, devotional time with God. And so I'd encourage you that this is just really your taster today um, and that I'd encourage you to really take this on and meditate on it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the psalm in stages. Um, I'm going to read a few verses, uh, camp out at those particular verses, and then move to the next set of verses. Um, but, but I'm going to dive straight in, and we're going to go through the first three verses together. And as Sky read, uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so what we'll see today and what I want to really highlight is that in the psalm written by David, he makes some pretty incredible statements, pretty audacious statements. And we get the first one of them right in the beginning. Um, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Other translations of this say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, or I lack nothing. Lack nothing. Really? (laughs) I mean, think about your own life. Think about maybe just the the time that's passed. You would have experienced in some way, shape, or form a sense of being in lack or being in want. And I think this psalm is so popular around the world with so many people because when we read that, that the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, it resonates with something deep inside of us that wants to live like that. And we all know what it's like to be in want. I mean, you can just ask my kids. They had a pretty good run at Christmas. Uh, The Christmas tree was full. I mean, they've got a couple of grandparents, right? So they were really spoiled over Christmas. And on the 26th of December, my son Josh, who is six, comes to me and goes, Dad, how many more days until next Christmas? (laughs) Did I just fail as a parent? (laughs) But really, that speaks to our condition, right? We, we try all these different things, but at the end of the day, we find ourselves still lacking. Now, I'm going to come back to that in a second, but let's just keep reading. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And in verse 2 and 3, we get a really rich imagery of the reality of the deep rest and peace and refreshment that is provided by this good shepherd. And with all of that, the assurance that he can restore the very essence of who you are. And as a result of that, that your life would be filled of living in the right way and going down the right paths. Isn't this sounding like the kind of life that you yearn for, that you and I yearn for? How is this even possible, I think, is a question that that comes to mind, because maybe some of this is not your reality. And you see, I think David knew the power of a shepherd, 
Uh, he was one before he started killing giants and becoming a king. And the metaphor for him and for the people at, of that time was really clear and powerful. I mean, farming and, and sheep were a big part of, of the economy. And we also realize um, that sheep are 100% reliant on their shepherd, that their lives depend on that person, on that shepherd, that that, that, that shepherd is their source. So again, how, how is this kind of existence possible, this state of of not being worried about your life and having rest and peace and restoration. Well, I'm glad you asked. So let's, let, me, let me tell you. <laughs> okay. Essentially, it's possible because of two words. And, and, and all of this hinges on two words. This whole psalm, in fact, everything sky red, everything you would have heard, hinges on two words. And more importantly, it hinges on your understanding and your experience of those two words. And these words are the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, the translation of this word in the psalm is um, Yahweh. Now, David, David could have used like a whole lot of different titles in the beginning of the psalm to talk about God. He could have used God Almighty or Everlasting God or any number of different uh, uh, titles. But he chose Yahweh. Now, why do you think he chose Yahweh? Well, because Yahweh is, in fact, God's name. And Moses was actually one of the first people to hear that and know that. In Exodus 3.14, when Moses is having his burning bush experience, uh, just about to go back and you know, help the nation of Israel be uh, freed from Egypt, uh, the, the scripture goes, Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. I don't know about you, but when I'm asked about what my name is, I go, hi, I'm Cameron, or hi, I'm so-and-so. God just says, I am. And an extract from the book Traveling Light by Max Lucado is helpful here. In it he says, The Israelites considered the name Yahweh to be too holy to be spoken by human lips. And whenever they needed to say Yahweh, they substituted it with the word Adonai, which means the Lord. If the name needed to be written, the scribes would have to take a bath before they wrote it. The name I am sounds strikingly close to the Hebrew verb Hava, which is, means to be. It's quite possibly a combination of the present form I am and I cause to be. So Yahweh then seems to mean I am and I cause things to happen. God is the one who is and the one who causes. This is the shepherd that David is referring to. And when he talks about Yahweh, what he's referring to also is his, God's nature of God being self-sufficient, unchanging, uncaused, eternal, holy, the source of all life and all creation. And when David is referring to the Lord, Yahweh, as a shepherd, he's invoking God's name as an indication that God is the source of all, the creator of all things, on whom David and, quite frankly, our very existence depends. So I guess the question that I have right at this point is, what comes to your mind when you read the words or hear the words, the Lord? 
Do you think of him as some cosmic grumpy policeman patrolling the universe looking for somebody to strike down with some lightning? Or do you believe deeply that he is the happiest, most joyful being in the whole universe? Here's a, a, a wonderful and accurate view of God and the life that flows from him. It's a quote from Dallas Willard, which says, God is a being who out of his mere nature pours forth life in infinite qualities that are incomprehensible, everlasting, unceasing, and will never be exhausted. That is such a great picture of the kind of life that flows from God. So David has this kind of confidence to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I will lack nothing, because he has a very clear and accurate picture in his mind of who the Lord is. He understood that because God is the source of all things, that there can possibly be no lack in him. So again, how do you see the Lord? It's such an important question to answer because your view of who the Lord is is critical in you being able to enter into this Psalm 23 kind of life. A.W. Tozer says that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us, as Paul referenced to there. I didn't share my notes with Paul, so obviously there's something going on there. But again, if you think about it, any, any kind of in your walk with God, any, any failing, any sin, any time you fall short, it's, it's back to its root, it really comes down to an inaccurate view of who God is. Ask Adam and Eve, they were convinced that God could not be trusted, and that didn't work out too well for them. So whenever this vision of God that I'm trying to paint for you, this, this glorious image of God is thwarted in us, in whatever area of our lives, then we start to feel a sense of lack. And we play, we find ourselves playing games of substitution. So I'm going to give you a few examples here, and this is maybe how a psalm could sound for you. My career and my calendar are my shepherd. One day I'll get it all done. Money is my shepherd. A bit more would be nice. My goals are my shepherd. Well, there's always more to achieve. Don't get me wrong, these are all good things, right? Your career, making sure you're doing things well, money, uh, your goals, these are all good things. But these things were never meant to carry the weight of the kind of eternal provision that you and I were designed to experience. They may work for a time, but not for good. And perhaps we can go maybe a little bit deeper with this and say, maybe fear is your shepherd. And your psalm could sound something like this. Fear is my shepherd. I'm on edge and defensive. I'm not lying down in any field. What, a, what about the wolves? And by the way, is this water even safe to drink? Right? Or perhaps even at another level, anger is your shepherd. Bitterness is your shepherd. Or anger or guilt is your shepherd. Or shame is your shepherd. And you can run the tape on that and figure out what that provides for you. And how about this one last very popular version of the psalm, which is, I am my shepherd. It's all up to me. I must have my way. And then I had such a good meme here, man, which was, I almost end up like this guy. It's a sheep on a precariously, on a, on a rock, like sort of 
sandwiched between two precarious sort of cliff faces and the, rock, and the sort of title above it is, this is fine, I'm fine. <laughs> you know, this is kind of where we find ourselves when we become our own shepherd. Now, what I'm not saying is that we shouldn't you know, use our sense of agency in our lives and make decisions and take actions, but the challenge with being your own shepherd is that in reality, if you really think about it, you're tapping into an incredibly limited resource. And what ends up happening invariably is that your life starts to center around you, and the consequence of that, in fact, is that your life gets smaller, right? And you experience greater degrees of being in want. We all know this to be true. If I'm over-focusing just on me and myself and what I want all the time, then I start to experience lack. I don't experience things like gratitude and joy and expansiveness in my relationship with God. So again, when we experience lack in whatever area it is of our lives, we know that that area of our lives doesn't have the correct and glorious view of God that it needs to have. And so to live without lack and to believe in the kind of goodness and provision that makes you lie down in green pastures or to be led beside quiet waters requires a clear, glorious, and accurate version and view of Yahweh. So I'm hoping you can see that the confidence that David has by saying that I will lack nothing comes from those first two words. So let's look at the next uh, verse and see what else there is for us to understand here. So next up is another famous verse, verse four, which says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Another translation here is even though I, I walk through the darkest valley, um, again, here's David making an incredibly audacious statement of saying, even though that happens, I will fear no evil. I mean, imagine living a life in which fear is not a part of your day-to-day existence because you're walking with this shepherd. Again, how can he be so confident? How can he know that to be true? And I think within this portion, there are sort of three things to pay attention to. The first one I've referred to sort of already by saying that because of those first three verses, because of his glorious vision of Yahweh, he can then know that regardless of the situation and circumstance, he can trust that God. The second thing I think is very important to to understand, and, and when I came across this, I was kind of like awestruck for a moment because I can't believe in all the time that I've read Psalm 23, I haven't noticed this. But for the first three verses... David is talking about God. He says, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me, uh, he uh, uh, causes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me beside still waters. But at this part of of, of the psalm, he switches and he starts talking directly to God, right? He starts saying, "Um, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so what we're getting to here is that of all the times that, that David could start talking directly to God, that we could observe that, is when he's talking about the darkest times, when he's talking about the darkest valleys. And, and again, when you, when you actually look at the psalm, and I'm sorry it's not up there, but this, this phrase, you are with me, is slap bang right in the middle of the psalm. It's almost as if, Like David is calling our attention here to something that is incredibly important for you to understand and for me to understand about our lives. 
And what it does is it really helps us to see one of the most important realities of the Christian view of God is that he is with you. And so you may be going through the darkest valley right now. You may be in a very real way, maybe you or somebody that you know is going through the valley of the shadow of death. And at those moments, it can seem incredibly lonely. And what I want you to hear today is is to say, please, just hear David in the psalm today with the promise that you are not alone. Isn't that amazing? Regardless of where you are in your life, whatever's happening, you can confidently say, the Lord is with me. I am not alone. So the Lord is not some unknowable, far-out, distant force. He is a shepherd, somebody whose rod and staff, his, his, his authority, his guidance, his care for you, comforts you in any circumstance. And so let's see what else David has for us here. Uh, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I feel like I'm repeating myself again, but here again, don't you notice the, just the complete confidence that David has? He says, even though uh, when you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This is such a powerful vision of God's uh, protection, provision, and grace that even in the presence of those that would seek to harm David, he was still assured of God's provision and protection. I mean, when last did you go somewhere to a restaurant and the person at the front said, you know, sir, ma'am, we've prepared a table for you. How good does that feel? Oh, the, the, the privilege, the, the blessing, the, the sort of honor of that. And it means to be, to be lavishly treated and catered for. And in this context, even in the presence of those forces that are hell-bent on trying to take you down. It's such a huge... Um, revelation to to see that. But even more so, as one commentator put it, and this is, I think, the crux of what we hear here, is this is also a picture of a grace that is so powerful in your life that it even causes you to bless your enemies. Think about this. You're sitting in the presence of your enemies at a lavish table, and the grace that is abounding is so great in your life that you only can but share that with those that are at the table with you. I think C.S. Lewis had an incredible grasp on this when he said, in God, there is no hunger that needs to be filled, only plenteousness that desires to give. So when we are in God, when we are in the Lord, there is no hunger that we have that we need to be filled, only our sense of plenteousness that we desire to give. And it's out of the abundance of God's overflowing grace in our lives that we give to others, even to our enemies. And this is the epitome of Christ's command to love your enemies. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And, he, and, and Christ just doesn't command us to do that. He gives us the grace. He's our good shepherd to enable us to do that. And so the imagery of provision and grace in this walk with this good shepherd just keeps coming. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And when we hear about anointing in the Bible, I mean, that's a whole sermon series and preach on its own. Simply, it's it's when a person or a place is to be set apart 
as significant. It's almost, uh, if you think about the different stories across the Old Testament where places were anointed or people were anointed, it's where essentially heaven and earth collided. It's where something amazing happened. And this is, in this psalm, the Lord that is anointing you. This is what uh, is a promise in this psalm. And because of this anointing, because of this divine blessing that this good shepherd puts on our lives, it says, my cup is filled. Does it say that? Does it say that? I put that in there just to check. Is everybody awake? Is everybody okay? It doesn't say that my cup is filled. It says that my cup is overflowing. It overflows. Not just brimming, but, but overflowing. And because of this overflow in your life as you walk with this good shepherd, you bless every person in every place you come into contact with. And then David says <clears throat> in verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Again, David's confidence emerges here when he says, surely. You know, you know you have confidence in somebody who says, surely they're going to arrive on time. Well, in Cape Town, maybe that doesn't work. But it's almost as if he's saying, surely with this great God as my shepherd, it can only follow that goodness and mercy, and, and some translations say steadfast love, will follow me all the days of my life. All the days of my life. Not just today, not just this week, but all the days of my life. Doesn't that sound like something we all yearn for? And this was his conviction. He wasn't uh, writing this psalm as one day you will do this, one day you will do this. This is a, an experience that David is sharing with us of his walk with his good shepherd. It was his conviction, and his conviction emerged out of his grand and glorious vision of God, of Yahweh, of the Lord. And finally we read, I, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I shall dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. At the end of the psalm, it's sort of as if David is, is trying to remind us of who is most important here. Isn't it interesting, I mean, I had it on the slides, but you would have seen that the, the way that David starts the psalm is by saying the Lord, and he's ending the psalm here with referring to the Lord. And that the most blessed place you can be, and the place where there is no lack, is in the presence of the Lord, this good shepherd and Yahweh. Now, throughout, throughout this message, what I've tried to communicate and highlight here is that the Lord, Yahweh, is the golden thread. One person says, you know, of the 152, uh, David spends uh, 152 words trying to explain the first two, right? The Lord. And I hope that you've seen that that is the golden thread. For this life, the Psalm 23 kind of life is predicated on your vision of the Lord, but if I'm honest, really what I wanted to leave in your hearts and in your minds today is that even though this psalm is written a thousand years before Jesus, Jesus is in every line. And I'm going to give you some examples as we, as we close. Jesus is the good shepherd. In John 10, 11, Jesus' words, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. 
Jesus is the one who gives rest, peace, and restoration. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Again, in John four thirteen, anyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Here again, Jesus is echoing this sort of sense of living a life without lack, never being thirsty again, obviously, in the spiritual sense. And Jesus walked through the shadow of death. He died and he overcame death. Romans 4 tells us he was delivered over to death for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. We can rely on Christ in the valley of the shadow of death when our darkest days because he's been there and he's overcome that. And Jesus is the one who is with us. Remember I spoke about the fact that you are with me. It's right in the middle of this psalm and Jesus is the one who's with us. It's literally in his name. Uh, in Isaiah 7, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you, should call, you shall call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel literally means God with us, and that's Jesus. And the reason that you can have access to this kind of life and dwell in the house of the Lord forever is because of Jesus. In 1 John 5, it says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life, this eternal life, is in his son. Whoever has his son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. And so in the final reflection, the Lord is not leading you and me to a place. He's leading you and me to a person. He's always leading and shepherding you and I back to himself. And it is in him and him alone that you will find life and life in abundance. You'll find a life without lack and a life without fear. Now, for those of you who maybe aren't followers of Jesus, right, and this is so you've heard this psalm before. You've gone to funerals potentially and, and heard this psalm before. Perhaps you've been chasing all the temporal and external things as a way to find your way to some sort of version of the life that I've been speaking about today. But you find yourself, if you're honest, coming up short, disappointed, unsatisfied. It seems to be the pattern. And you're tired and burdened by being your own shepherd. I want to tell you that the invitation to be taken into the care and the restoration of the Good Shepherd is here for you today. And this invitation is also the greatest joy of this Good Shepherd. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells this parable. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. So if that's you today, the invitation is here, not for you today to partake in this through 
the love and sacrifice and life of Jesus. And for those of you who know Christ as your shepherd, I want to encourage you to meditate on this psalm every morning and, and let it sink in so that you know, whatever you focus your mind on is the fact that the Lord is your shepherd. I've had a few occasions in the last week where I've had to do something and maybe even, it was even this morning, like, how are you feeling about this morning? And my answer to that question very quickly was, the Lord is my shepherd, <laughs> right? Imagine if that became your default deep belief that the Lord is your shepherd. And that only happens through internalizing and memorizing and living in this psalm.